Look, I don't know if you're uh, hip to the Nigerian uh, pop scene in the 1980s. <laughs> I don't know why you wouldn't be, to be honest. But, uh, you know, William Onyebar, I think I'm saying that right, was the king of it. And uh, when I'm in a weird mood, this is the stuff I put on. And I'm in a weird mood, all right? And uh, listen, um, can I just confess this with you, okay? Here's, here's how I feel oftentimes, uh, like an imposter, all right? Like, who are you to say anything about anything? You're a big, dumb idiot, right? And I don't know if you guys feel like that sometimes, but uh, I've been feeling like that lately, you know? Where you're just like, you're not, I think sometimes we're just, we're just pretending, man. We're just totally faking it if we ever make it. But uh, the problem I have with it is, is I don't, I, I, I detest that everybody in the room is acting like uh, everything is okay. If it's not okay. You know, I'm not trying to make this a big weird thing, but sometimes that's just, you know, like I, I'm not an expert on anything, man. And I, and I really, I don't know if I'll ever be. And to be honest with you, I don't know if I want to be, right? I, I just want to be good to people. Um, I want to be able to have fun. I want to be able to stand being around myself. And uh, other than that, man, like this whole just pressurized, you know, gotta have goals and what's your, you know, you know, marketing and make sure you, like, I, I, I get fatigued by the whole game. And maybe it would have, if maybe this thing will grow faster if I felt a different way about it, but I, I cannot honestly um, do it any other way. I, I can't write something just to be able to create content and have it spitting out and putting it in your face. I can't post nonstop. The irony of writing about the importance of being around your family and being a human being and being a good husband and a good father, speaking of which, I'm, they're yelling downstairs. But and, and, and then, hey guys, I can't hang out with you right now. I'm too busy telling people how to hang out with their kids. Right? I don't want to do that. I don't... Now I got dogs barking. It's ridiculous. I'm in a. It's ridiculous right now. It's par for the course. Let's get right down to it, guys. Alvin Dido, Alvin Dido, as some people refer it to, uh, is a is a. He's as cool as the other side of the pillow. All right. He's like he's like Manny Ramirez of fly fishing, and I'm not just saying that because of the resemblance with the dreads, all right? He's just a cool, humble, laid-back guy that is a world-class fisherman, a world-class guide. He's got a really, really interesting way he's decided to organize his life. He's down there in Austin, Texas with, uh, I don't know, I, I mean, I, I, I've been to Austin, Texas one time, and I don't understand, I don't know why I, I am connecting with these people, why I'm reaching out with them, but I, I like the whole vibe they got going on down there. And um, this was a great conversation. Just, just a, just, he's got his own beat, man. He's got his own take on uh, how he wants to live his life. And he's not trying to ask for approval from anybody. He's not trying to win any contest to be the coolest kid in school. And he doesn't care 
if you're doing your thing. You know, some a little bit of conviction on my part was, I felt like at, at points I tried to kind of talk to, hey, hey, what do you think about this guy over here doing this thing? He was like, sure, that's fine, do whatever you want. And I'm like, hey, I'm an idiot, you know? And so Alvin keeps it real. Um, he's down to earth. He was way too kind to talk to us because, guys, and I don't even, this, this, this sounds bizarre because all we do as human beings is think of ways to compare ourselves and, and feel important, right? But in the world of uh, fly fishing, this dude's a rock star, okay? He just is. And he took his time out of his day to talk with us and share his story and how he has gotten where he has and what he's done with it and what it means to him. And uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I had having it. Let's go. What you know about me? What you know about child? What you know about struggling well through this life? We're better together. What you know about men, All right, welcome back or welcome to the Man Child Podcast. It's the show completely dedicated to struggling at will and doing it well. What would you do? Where would you go? Who would you go with if you were not afraid to struggle and suck at it? And uh, guys, this is, listen, everybody's got, they if, if they made jerseys for uh, outdoor pursuits, like you got, I've always had a problem with grown men wearing another grown man's name on their back, right? But uh, that we it seems to be no problem in the in the round ball sports world. But this guy is a stud. Please welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Alvin Dido. I do it right. Yeah, I got it. You got it. You got, got it. it. That was good. Yeah, <laughs> Alvin. Oh man. That's that's hilarious. Uh, I, I have a really nice able reel that I haven't used in years, and uh, I threw it up on a local uh, Facebook uh, fly fishing gear sales thing. And one of the uh, one of the sort of concessions I had to make on selling the reel was the fact that it had my name engraved on it. And I was like, I'm sorry that my name is on this really nice reel. But I guarantee you, it works great. <laughs> so that's funny. A couple of people made jokes about, well, if I was going to have some other dude's name on my reel. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, that's why I, I never got that. Like, I got to work for a year. I got to work with the Cincinnati Bengals, and we'd have, like, training camp, and you're walking out there with, like, the players who I always tell people, like, look, man, if, if you knew them personally, you probably wouldn't be wearing their jersey. But it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and and you just see these dudes that just like clamor over these guys and but like I'm a I nerd out for you know people like yourself and things like that. Uh so to the listener and I really like this to be accessible to a layman and then not get some super niche thing to where we talk and code about redfish and tapered line and things like that. People that have no idea what it is that that you do how do you, tell us tell the listener what what you do who you are the who what where when and why what's going on here uh it's pretty simple actually so i'm glad you wanted in layman's terms uh, i'm just a fly fishing guy 
uh, in Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas is Austin, Texas is where I live. I've been here for geez a long time uh, since 1982, um, and I guide both locally on the rivers around Austin and Central Texas. Also guide um, for redfish mostly down on the uh, Texas coast, so but like the middle Texas coast. Um, nothing. You know, nothing fancy, nothing magic, nothing hard to understand. Uh, I get paid to take people on a boat and hopefully put them on a fish with a fly rod. That's kind of my day-to-day existence. <laughs> well, and but I want to get into how you created that existence because, and it seems like, especially as of recently, that has that has exploded in interest as far as like, Oh, how can I be a guide? And everybody wants to be a guide all of a sudden, right? It's like uh, everybody uh, had a, you know, probably in the late '90s, early 2000s, everybody had a had a mixtape, right? Everybody had a, a demo they were trying to get to somebody. Now it feels like everybody's trying. Oh yeah, to- I, I had that. I did that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bad mother goose, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got the. We got pretty lucky. I, I was able to make a living in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s playing music and traveling around. So, yeah, uh, I totally understand the, the struggling with the mixtape. We did plenty of that. <laughs> so, all right, let's go ahead. I want to, because I have that written down here. So, you were in a, what, what, what type of music did Bad Mother Goose play? Well, it was funny because everybody, or pretty much everybody in the band had come from like a punk rock background. So if you saw a picture of the band, you'd think punk rock band. Um, If you saw a live video of the band with the sound turned down, you would think definitely chaotic punk rock band. But the music was, the music was pretty much straight up 70s style funk, you know? So like, think like, you know, you know, Parliament, Funkadelic, George yeah. Clinton, you know, uh, Isley Brothers, Sly Stone, all that. Except, um, you know, like 95% original stuff. Dude. But it was, it was a great, great time. I mean, it was it was awesome. And, and like I said, we were lucky enough to uh, become popular enough to, you know, quit our day jobs. Got to travel around a lot, you know, made some records, got a big record deal, and then promptly decided it was time to do something else. <laughs> so we got the demo tapes out there people decided that was good and then we decided like well that's good let's try something else and so you just kind of it wasn't for like this ain't working it was like yeah let's move on yeah it, it was weird um you know we just kind of all those years of the struggle trying to get to where we wanted to be and then it was like well we're here now now what <laughs> And, you know, for me, the now what was uh, something else. I mean, some of the band members uh, continued on and, um, you know, had had uh, different projects. And, and several of the band members were still, you know, in the music business. And we're talking like, you know, almost 30 years later. But uh, for me, you know, I was kind of like, eh, I think I'll do something else. Wow. And so then that was that began your pursued into into fishing and and eventually fishing full-time is that how that worked or or what uh man it was a long it was a long drawn out course actually um when i quit the band i was like oh wait 
I don't have a job. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like I said, we had been fortunate enough to, to make a living playing music. And so when I quit the band, I was like, all right, I, I guess I got to get a job. And, you know, I, I contemplated uh, doing other musical projects. I had a couple of offers to do stuff, you know, that would have enabled me to, to keep going in that direction without having to get a job. But my heart wasn't really into it. And um, one day I was uh, at the fly shop, the Austin Angler, which was a place that I had uh, hung out at for, for years, you know, because all the time that I was doing this music stuff, I was I was still fishing. I've been fishing ever since I was a little kid. I've been fishing with a fly rod ever since I was 12. So while I was playing music, you know, the the, the fishing thing was, was always there in the background. So I'm hanging out at the fly shop um, where I bought all my gear and, you know, made a lot of friends and, and gotten really tight with the guy that owned the place. And I was telling him of this dilemma I was having, like, oh, man, I could move to, you know, the Bay Area and jump in this band and, and wouldn't have to get a job and I'd be in the Bay Area. I could just, you know, just kind of keep rolling on this same train. Uh, or I had another offer to actually get a job working at a shop in uh, Seattle that uh, catered to fly fishing, mountaineering, and kayaking. And, and, and another thing that I really got into uh, was uh, climbing and mountaineering. You know, that kind of went hand-in-hand hand with uh, with the whole fly fishing thing, especially out west in the mountains. So right. I was kind of like, oh, I could go do that. I could go do the band thing. And, you know, I was like, oh, I don't really know. And, and Larry, Larry Sunderland, the guy who owned the fly shop, said, well, hey, man, why don't you just stay here and work at the fly shop? And I was like, no way. And, uh, he says, yeah, yeah. He goes, he goes, I've been, you know, thinking about asking you forever, but you always seem like you had something better to do. You know, he's like, if you could work here for six months and if it doesn't work out, I'll give you the best recommendation you've ever gotten from a boss. And I was like, well, I never got a recommendation from a boss <laughs> before. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, I started working there. I remember him, you know, I had, you know, I was like going, well, I guess why not, you know? And I remember him saying, he goes, okay, well, one stipulation. I was like, what's that? And he's like, uh, you got to keep the pink toenail polish on your toes if you're going to work at the fly shop. Because <laughs> I painted my toenails pink. And I was like, hey, man, I'm in a band. You know, I'm a punk rocker. I got dreads. I, I can look however I want out here, you know. But he was, he was, re he really bought into the whole, like, yeah, you don't have to be looking a certain way or, or, or coming from a certain background. So I really credit him with, like, getting me into the commercial, you know, like the the business of fly fishing. I mean, I've been in into fly fishing as a sport and a hobby and a lifestyle for, like I said, for years. But that was kind of like my entry into the business of fly fishing. And uh, you know, it was it was a uh, man. It, it was great. I mean, I worked at the fly shop. I started just you know working on the floor, and then next thing I know, I'm you know, doing all the buying for the shop, uh, you know, um, you know, then I was the manager of their shop the last few years it was open. I mean, I was there for 10 or 12 years. And while the shop was open, uh, there weren't, there was a couple of folks in Central Texas that would guide here and there part-time, you know, or do it for a few years and, and, and move on. And uh, we had people asking for guides. So me and a couple of other guys, that worked at the shop, um, 
Joey Lynn, who now lives in Argentina, and, and JT Van Zandt, who a lot of people, if you know who I am, more than likely you know who JT is. Right. JT worked at the shop as well. And uh, we just started doing a few trips on the side uh, to make a little extra money. You know, our boss, Larry, really encouraged that. You know, like, you know, what he was, he was really good at trying to figure out how we could make uh, a decent living doing what we were doing, you know. So the guiding was something that he encouraged. We did that. And uh, like I said, I got to where I was, you know, <laughs> for, for months, at a stretch, I would work seven days a week because, you know, I was working in the fly shop. I loved working in the fly shop and, you know, I loved working with those guys. I really loved the business end of it. You know, it was really cool getting to see all the new stuff that was coming out the next year and deciding how many of them I thought we could sell and figuring out how we were going to sell them. And just, just the whole thing, the business was, was a lot of fun. And, you know, so I did that, you know, four or five days a week and then the days that I wasn't doing that I was out on the water guiding you know so so yeah I worked you know seven days a week for you know, like I said months at a time but it was great I loved it I mean every day I got up and I was like hell yeah this is awesome I mean the only reason I would even think I didn't want to go into the shop or go guide was if I had a bad hangover and at that at that age hangovers were pretty easy to deal with <laughs> right yeah let, let me ask you this because I'm a, I'm kind of obsessed with how people decided to do something, right, and where it mm -hmm. came from, and I can't imagine there is a if you said, hey, uh, we're having a convention where uh, people that play psychedelic funk that also like to fly fish can meet meet up. I can't imagine <laughs> there's there's a whole lot of those people together. <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting to me is that all of these these things you're contemplating, do I want to go to Seattle? Do I want to do this? Do I want to the mountaineering? Do I want to stay in the band? None of that is like when you're in uh, social studies or uh, life skills class in high school. There, none, of, none of those things are being presented to you as, an, as a viable option, right? They're all yeah. – everything that you're considering is off the beaten path. Where does that – thread that theme in your life come from to where you you're constantly thinking all right well what sounds like the most fun i can have and pay my bills doing it versus where everybody else we're all being you know conditioned to think you know you need the house and then make sure you're stable and make sure you've got you know six weeks paid vacation and how's the benefits and all that sort of stuff and you're just kind of you're on a totally different frequency and that to me is really, really intriguing. Where did that come from? Man, I, you know, I think a lot of that was just natural. I think I got really lucky. My parents really kind of instilled that in all of us kids growing up. I mean, my, my mom was a school teacher and uh, my dad had a construction company and, you know, they were initially, you know, she was a young working school teacher. My dad was, you know, worked construction for different, you know, businesses, worked on the Port of Houston, and uh, but they always had some other business. You know, they always had like what now everybody calls a side hustle. My parents always had a side hustle, and I kind of saw that growing up, and I just remember, you know, uh, especially when my dad's business started becoming more successful, 
you know, it, it was just great because, uh, you know, he was his own boss. And, and, and my mom kept the teaching job, you know, years later, she told me just so they knew they could count on that much money coming in every month. But really what was important was the side hustles. They were really, you know, trying to instill in us, you know, this whole entrepreneurial spirit. I know that's like a hip thing nowadays, but, but it really, uh, it is, you know, goes way back. I mean, my, uh, my grandparents, my, my mother's parents were in, uh, you know, East Texas, Louisiana, uh, African Americans, and you know, they also always had my my grandmother had an ice cream shop. You know, so I guess it's just like a DNA thing. That part of it is just the yeah. just having just having the guts. You know, and when I say guts, I mean as in like being able to go off on that that uh, unproven tangent and and not being afraid, um, which in some ways has also been sort of uh, not that great, you know, because I, I have watched a lot of my friends um, from, from way back achieve uh, a level of success, you know, financial success or success in their careers. And, and, and there's been plenty of times I've thought like, Oh man, I wish I, I wish I would have done that. But if I think about it hard enough, I always realize like, man, I couldn't do that. <laughs> I just wouldn't be happy, you know, even if I had been uh, successful on a traditional path like that. I mean, I did try. I went to school. I tried to be a mechanical engineer. I uh, I even, uh, when I decided that that wasn't going to work out, uh, I, I got into the construction business, you know, at a young age and, and was making pretty good money. But, you know, it was all, it was all about the money. And uh, I've never really seen much uh, happiness come with the money. I mean, as a, as a 20 something year old kid making a pretty good bank in the construction business, this was in Austin during a, you know, big uh, housing boom in the, in the, uh, in the early eighties, early to mid eighties, you know, I had a lot of money and, you know, I partied and, you know, that was fun. But at, at the end of the day, I was just going, I just need to go fishing. <laughs> so <laughs> it just kind of always came back to that. I mean, I, I you know, so I say in a way it was, you know, like my only option. I don't think I could have done anything else. I mean, yeah, uh, I think sometimes you, we, we overwhelm ourselves with all these things we need to be choosing from or I just don't know what to do. And it's if you're really honest with yourself and you and you slow down and, and re reinventory what you actually value, you're exactly right. You don't really have a choice as to what's actually going to make you happy. And the way I always think about it is like, hang on a second. Uh, I see all these guys that are making a ton of money, but as soon as they get some free time, they go do what you do for a living. So hold on a yeah. second. Like, they, <laughs> you're, you're just, you're just eliminating the middleman here. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's true, man. I, I, I have thought about that many times. Um, you know, it's, it is, fortunate um that i get paid to do what i do although you know it's like i'm not out there on the river fishing every day or and i'm not out there on the coast fishing every day most days i'm trying to put somebody else on a fish which uh is not exactly the same thing fortunately for me i i enjoy that as much you know it just kind of depends on the day i i enjoy helping other people 
some days almost as much as I would fishing for myself. And then other days I actually enjoy that more yeah. than fishing for myself. But, but either way, I feel really, really lucky to, to be able to sustain this life doing something that I love to do. Well, and the other thing I think that is, it's, it's really important that attention is drawn to it is the fact that, you know, something that seems uh, really appealing or, or like, man, I, you know, how they figure that out. Well, what they didn't <laughs> see, you know, the, and I want to talk about this in a little bit, but like on the other side of that picture of, of you and Cosmolito is 15 years of just super hustle and hard work when nobody was ever even thinking about, you know, leading guide trips down uh, a pretty metro area in Austin, Texas, and saying you can make a lifestyle out of it. You can make a living doing this. You know, it wasn't until, for whatever reason, uh, social media or the uh, YouTube, and we can watch just as much stuff on YouTube as we will anything ESPN puts out, that where we all of a sudden, this is like, the most popular sexy thing that anybody can do or these types of things. Like you guys were doing this before anybody said it was cool. You know, as you were saying that, it reminded me of something. Uh, going back to the music business, I remember, uh, you know, going and seeing punk rock bands and, you know, really good punk rock bands. Like, uh, you know, Black Flag, you, know, you name it. Any, any of those kind of first gen, you know, early to mid 80s, even into the 90s punk rock bands and these guys were just you know some some really amazing performers amazing writers and just unbelievable shows and these guys were going out in bands just driving all over the country grinding it out sleeping on couches and they all knew that they were never going to get rich and famous doing that because that's not where the world was going at that point in time and yet they still did it. And that's kind of how the fly fishing thing started out for me as well. I mean, I realized that I could do it. I could grind it out. I could make some money doing it. But I was never going to be rich or famous. <laughs> Not that I am now. But right. it, is definitely, it has definitely gone way beyond where I thought it was going to go. You know, because... There was, like you said, there was a there was a lot of grinding it out. There was a lot of punk rock days in the world of being a fly fishing guy. You know, back in the in the nineties, and you know, even in the early two thousands, it was definitely a, definitely a grind and definitely a struggle a lot of the times. But you know, I, I just loved it. We we all loved it. Everybody that that came up doing it during that time that's still doing it. You know, it was just something you just had to do. Did you ever find yourself like I think a lot of people if you think of if they thought of fly fishing and it's not until recently that it's become like the hipster thing to do almost it's like the hipsters of the world are fly fishing now if you take a picture and you're trying to sell a t-shirt you you hold a fly rod instead of a, a spin yep. rod it's almost crass to think about conventional fishing for some reason I don't know how that shift but people it used to be you wore an old papaw hat and a and khaki from head to toe and you smoked a pipe and that's what people thought about 
fly fishing. Like, where, <laughs> yep. <laughs> where, where did the shift take place? Or did you find yourself as uh, maybe you didn't, you know, uh, as, as a punk rock and funkadelic, were you all, ever kind of on the outskirts of that culture? Or was it just said, I, uh, that culture can do what it wants. I'm going to do my thing here. How did that work? Yeah, it was pretty much, you know, that culture can do what it wants. I'm going to do my thing here. Uh, you know, because when I got into it, it was definitely still mostly old dudes, you know, you know, in, in khakis and, you know, uh, fishing vests and, and, and floppy <laughs> hats, you know. Uh, you know, it just uh, became something that, you know, it was something that I love to do. But I also love going to see punk rock shows. I also love, you know, getting up on stage and, and acting like a maniac. And, and what I started noticing that was there were more people who were into all the things that I like to do, as well as fly fishing. I mean, I remember being in the fly shop one day before I started working there when I was still playing music. Uh, and I ran into one of my buddies, Clay Towery. R.I.P. Clay, uh, and he uh, he was a he was a punk rock kid. He was an awesome awesome skateboarder, which was something else that I, w- I was really into back then. I was never really good, but I was really into it. I mean, that was my main mode of transportation was the skateboard and the bicycle. And uh, but anyway, I ran into my buddy Clay at the fly shop. He was buying some flies or something, and he turns to me because he you know he knew me from skating. He knew me from punk rock he knew me from bad mother goose and he turns to me and he's like dude you fly fish and i was like uh yeah man i've been fly fishing forever you know and uh he he's like i thought for sure you were in the fly shop buying some kind of props for your next show like you were gonna make a headdress out of some feathers or you needed some fishing line to hang some baby doll heads off the stage or something and i was like no nah, i'm gonna show I, you I mean, guys running yeah, wild, <laughs> wild. <laughs> I, I did. I did get one piece of uh, uh, um, stage gear from the fly shop. I bought a full rabbit pelt and sewed that on a jock strap, and I, I, I wore a rabbit fur jock strap. A couple <laughs> times. <laughs> Hold on a second. Are there? Are there? Can there? Are there photos Fortunately, floating around? Is there photo evidence Fortunately, of? as far as I know, there are no photographic evidence or video of, of that particular outfit. At least nothing I've seen so far. Lots of lots of uh, metallic uh, silver spandex bike shorts. I've seen those floating around. But, I think but the, never the, the title of this podcast is going to be Baby Doll Heads and Rabbit Pelt Jockstraps. That's what we're going to call. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good name. But any, anyway, anyway, because I'll go off on a tangent in a minute. But uh, so so Clay, so Clay and I, we just hit it off, man. We just started fishing together, you know, all the time. Uh, and I mean, I fished with this guy until the day he died. I mean, like the day he died, we went fishing. Um, and, uh, you know, he was definitely not an old guy wearing khakis. He was a hard drinking, drug taking, partying, just badass at everything you could imagine, dude. And his favorite thing to do though was fly fishing, you know? And so there were just like so many characters like that, that sort of just popped up into my life that after a while, I, that was kind of what I associated with fly fishing. I, I can't remember uh, if, you, if you watched the, uh, the, that Yeti Cosmo 
the video, the most recent one, JT and I went. That was one of the things uh, when JT and I, our first fishing trip together, you know, we had a cassette tape of the Bad Brains that we just listened to over and over and over while driving to fishing, you know, uh, drinking, passing out in the truck. The, the Bad Brains cassette is just blasted on repeat all night. We wake up, Bad Brains is still blasting, you know. So it was, it was definitely like, I don't know, we were fly fishermen, but we were like young dudes that were into stuff that young dudes are into. And I think it's just uh, sort of just, progressed you know it's it's uh it's just a part of culture now for a lot of people and younger guys guys that you may consider hipsters <laughs> which you know uh it's, it's funny because i'm not a young guy anymore but i remember one of my uh my daughter's uh, parents of my, my daughter's friends telling her that my wife and i were the hipster parents of the group <laughs> we were like what <laughs> right Oh yeah. Hipster, yeah, hipster knows no age, man. Hipster's a mindset. Yeah, I guess right? not, man. Absolutely. I guess not. Uh, well, I, I, because I completely agree. It was like uh, almost to the point when I was growing up in high school and and being a, a wannabe jock or whatever. It was like you, 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 it was either you were a total, especially in the Rust Belt where I grew up, southwestern Ohio, Kentucky. It was either you were a total just hillbilly. If you were hunting, right, just like dirty old wild holler redneck or you were a grandpa if you were trying to. And so like, but I'm like, wait a second, I, I, I like this stuff. It wasn't until I got to uh, down to Florida and I'm like, you guys, it's like fly fishing is like dirty down here. Like, I like it. Like, it, you know, it's it's like, I can get behind this. This is kind of cool. Or like just the culture of it, the art of it, the 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 clothing, all of it, it was way different than what I anticipated. And, uh, then I, so I'm like, okay, I'm in, I'm down with this. And then it's like the things that you had kind of dismissed as like, Oh, that's not cool or whatever. You almost sheepishly have to admit later on, you're like, I was an idiot. And this is, this is actually, there's nothing cooler than getting to go do some of the stuff that I wrote off as like, this is for, you know, weirdos or whatever. And so, I digress here. What what percentage of people that at least are creating the illusion that they're into something like fly fishing uh, as much as they are are actually good at it? Versus how many uh, like to me I, like I almost have this constant imposter syndrome, like just caring. <laughs> I carry a fly rod around and I'm like, hey man, is that an eight wave? Blah, blah, blah. And I go, yeah, it's uh, it's just because I literally just paid for it, so I know what it's called. But like, I know nothing. I mean, I just I suck. I know nothing. I don't. I catch a very small amount of fish, and I it's like someday someone's gonna show up and they're gonna be like, you know, you you know you suck and you you're not welcome in the in our club anymore. And then I'm gonna go away. And I'm not going to be welcoming. That, that that that's my fear, man. Like I I don't. I... Oh man, you got to let go of that. Yeah, I don't. It's just uh, it's, I got to see a therapist or something. But oh man, I, I mean, I, I like you know when you were saying that, I was thinking about. I still remember when I could not cast. I mean, I was a kid, but I, I still remember I couldn't cast, and I still go out now and fish with some of my buddies, and I go, bam. I, I am not good compared to 
that dude, you know, yeah. uh, I still, I still, you know, like I, if I'm driving my truck and I look back and I don't see a boat, almost always I'll kind of like, Oh, shiver for a second. The boat came off, you know, um, I always have a boat behind me, but I remember when I struggled <laughs> to back the boat down at the boat ramp, you know, now it's like, I can almost do it with my eyes closed, but you know, I remember not being good at most of the stuff that I'm good at or moderately good at, you know, at some point in time. And so I actually, uh, I have to, I'll tell you this, because, you know, I've been working on uh, making YouTube videos and, and doing a lot, a lot of video stuff, and I have taught myself how to do it. And I'm not a professional. I've gotten a lot better, though. And right. that's actually one of the things I kind of enjoy about it is that I am getting better. I am learning. I mean, you can always get better at anything, but, but I've gotten pretty good at the fly fishing and the guiding thing, you know. So now it's just like, just getting a little bit better at this or a little bit better at that. But it, it's to me, it's actually kind of fun to take on something that I know I suck at and try to figure out how to be better at it, you know, and get to the point to where, okay, I'm actually good at this and I can still remember when I sucked, you know. Mm -hmm. but I, like I said, I can still remember when I couldn't back a trailer. And I think it's awesome now that I can back a trailer. <laughs> right. There's, yeah, you're exactly right. And I think that there's, there's so many things that you have to come to terms with about yourself to be able to get better at something is one, be check your ego or your pride or whatever it is that you're trying to keep from being shattered and say, I do suck at this. And then you just, and have the audacity to not care about what everybody's going to, you know, it's like, I feel like the majority of the posturing that takes place, uh, in so many different things is because you don't want to end up on the qualified captain's Instagram page, right? So you just <laughs> exactly. Now, see, I didn't have to worry about that when I was trying to learn to back a trailer. The qualified captain wasn't a thing, but <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's just this, uh, you know, you don't want to be the lame kid at school, and Instagram is high school. It really feels like. Oh, uh, yeah, I know, I know. That that does make it a lot tougher. You know, I mean, but I think that that whole thing is a is a double edged sword, man. I mean, you know, you, you're it's a lot easier to get exposed out there, uh, but it's so much easier to get information, you know, and to get help. Uh, I mean, I had to learn about fly fishing from a book in, mm -hmm. at, at at my school library that I just felt I needed it so badly that I just stole the book, you know. Because that's how hard it was to get some information back then. Yeah. But now, man, all you got to do is turn on your computer or, or you know, grab your phone and, and, and start swiping. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. I think it cuts both ways. I think it's, I think it's an awesome, you know, the whole Internet and the information technology we have is an awesome, awesome tool that can be used for good or evil. Like anything else, great. <laughs> no doubt. And I think that there's something really... We're in the golden age of if you're okay with not being good at something for a minute and you want to go try it, you probably can progress at it at a faster rate than any other time in history because of the amount of information that is available. Do you, but sometimes yeah. it seems like is there is there uh, is there almost the abundance of information? Is it is it does it create some sort of like false? Uh, uh, 
earning of your stripes to where you know wait a second man you 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 think you know but you don't you ain't put this kind of time in like you know you haven't put these kind of hours in for you know there's a lot of guys that if the and and i remember um willie lee and uh i went i went out and basically just I paid him money for four hours for him to yell at me at how bad I was at fishing for redfish. And he, <laughs> <laughs> it was the best day ever. And I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it because he was not holding back on anything. Uh, Cause if I was like, I wonder if I was, no, he'll tell you that you sucked at that dude. Like, you know, you get better. But he, but <laughs> the, the thing about, about that is, is I, you know, he goes, a lot of kids, you know, in this area anyway, you know, their dad buys them a truck and he buys them a flats boat, and because you know, on if the weather weather's right and the tide was right, you know where to go catch a few redfish. Well, now you've booked this guy six months in advance, and the wind's blowing thirty miles an hour, and the water's not doing what it's supposed to do, and the fish are being weird, and you still got to go put this guy on fish. It's like you got to have you got to be able to fish this guy no matter the conditions. And I think sometimes the, the, uh, this uh, perception that we've arrived at something, it's almost like, and I've heard JT talk about that on his own podcast, it's like he wishes kids kind of had to suffer a little bit more than they had to because information is so easy to grab and you kind of uh, start to think that you're something that maybe you're not. It's, uh, I, I think that there's something sacred to having to struggle at something. I'd like to get your take on that. Well, 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 so my, my take on it is this. Um, like you said, it, it is real easy to create a persona that you may or may not be able to live up to in real life. You know, like if that kid's dad buys him the flats boat and the truck and he goes out and, you know, has some good days and starts posting on social media, people start booking him. If he can make that work out for him, if he can make that happen, more power to him. You know, if he comes into my area and does that and takes business away from me, that's on me. <laughs> you know, yeah, I should that's have a good way better. to look at it. I, I, I should have been better at what, what I'm doing. But as far as the, the, the struggle, I mean, you know, like I, I take it back to like sports or singing or something like that. If you're just a natural, you know, only, you know, if you're a force of nature, it's going to happen for you. So if that kid is meant to be a badass fly fishing guy, and he's only got a year or two of experience, but he's putting people on fish left and right, and he's making it happen. That's that's it. It's going to happen. But but on the flip side, you know, if you're sort of marginal, you know, but you put it out there, and you're you know you're making a name for yourself on social media, people start booking you, you know, the stakes are getting higher and higher. When you can't produce, when things start going sour, imagine how much suffering is going to come with that, how much struggle is going to come with that. So that struggle yeah. is probably even worse than the struggle of starting off and trying to build something up. You know, you're, yeah. you got a lot higher, you got a high, lot higher ladder to fall off of at that point, you know. So uh, I don't, you know, I don't begrudge somebody that puts themselves in that position when they're not prepared because, you know, it's just, it's, it's a lot harder thing to fall from great height than it is to fall from, you know, your step stool. So, yeah, you know, it is what it is. I mean, like I said, if people, if somebody can 
make something happen, figure out some magic and come into my area and start taking business away from me, then that's my fault. <laughs> well, that that's a refreshing way to look at it. Uh, um, the other thing that I always have a soft spot in my heart for guys, and, and a big part of this whole project here is to um, basically encourage people that have deemed themselves, uh, you know, too late or disqualified from something because they didn't start when they were 12 or they don't their dad didn't show them how or they didn't have yep. they didn't grow up doing this sort of thing you know where does that guy start in your in your opinion that guy starts wherever he's at <laughs> Word. Yep. i mean you know it's 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 i mean i think about a lot of stuff even stuff that i'm doing now and i'm like dang i wish i would have started that 10 years ago but i didn't you know, I got to start it now and I got to like figure it out and make it happen now. You know, uh, you know, you, you, you you can't get it back. You can't, you can't, uh, you can't time travel back and and start, you know, you got to start now. You got to start where you are. I mean, if anything, that's probably what it is. You got to do it. You got to go for it. You got to start now. I mean, uh, and it's still worth starting no matter when you start. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, you know, in this world, fly fishing, geez, it's not like it's a real physical demanding sport. I mean, I have guys who, you know, start when they retire. You know, I have guys, uh, you know, one of my regular clients, he's basically started at 50. And he's, you know, early 70s now, and the dude's, dude's a freaking machine i mean he yeah. catches more fish than anybody no matter where he goes you know so uh yeah it's it's you know it's, i mean really until you're dead <laughs> it's not too late to start you know it's uh, yeah and it's almost like uh finding something new to go learn and and by proxy you're going to struggle at it's almost it, it, I've, I, there's a youthful agent to it it keeps you young to yeah. go out there and, and suck at something and then watch yourself get better at it and then be proud of that whole deal. And, and it's, it, it, it just, it's like a continual giving purpose to your daily life. And I think that that's so it, it, essential. It is. That is so true. I mean, you know, what they've done so many studies on brains and aging, and that is one of the things that like, you know, engaging using your brain learning new things you know just creates new pathways in your brain it does all kinds of stuff for you so i mean the fact that you suck at something is probably a good thing because you're going to get better and you can learn you can it's going to be fun it's going to be good for you i mean you know i'd hate to be the dude that was good at everything (laughs) you know then what do you got to look look forward to you know well that yeah that's an interesting yeah, I'd hate to be the guy that knows everything. is a, is a great way to look at how to live your life. Um, it's very interesting. So I think one of the things that I appreciate uh, about on the on the the day to day basis is you know what you're doing there in Texas is your majority of the time that you're not on the coast, you're fly fishing for bass, correct? Yes. That's pretty much my two, my two fish, bass and redfish. And what I really appreciate that is, is it's it's like it's the accessibility of you know this thing is is 
anybody can go and do this, you know, not, not, not go do it well. You, you, they need to start and, and be guided and, and put on fish. That's not what I'm saying was, is it's, but this is a fish. This isn't a, 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 a bighorn sheep. This isn't like you yeah. only, you're only going to do this once in your life if you're a millionaire or you're not, you, you, yeah. you're not going to have to just go to, to Patagonia to do this or whatever. It's, it's the guy that, you know, he's still, he's a, he's a blue collar dude. He's paying his bills and he's supporting his kids and he's, and those take up most of his time. But you know what, when he gets a little bit of extra, he can go do this thing too and have a great time, just as great of a time as something exotic that he sees on TV that he's like, well, that's cool. But but there's no way I can ever relate to that. I think that's what I really like about this idea of fly fishing for bass. Man, I have uh, I have devoted uh, at least one or two videos recently on that whole subject. You know, uh, fishing your home waters, local waters, fishing for bass. You know, whatever whatever's closest to home is, is probably what you should be fishing for most of the time. And, you know, for a lot of people, warm water fishing is, is accessible. I mean, even some, you know, almost urban areas, uh, you know, if there's some water, uh, there's probably some bass in it. And, you know, it is. It's a really accessible. That might be the reason why, um, you know, just in fishing in general, you know, black bass, largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, that's the most popular fish, game fish in America. Right. And I think yeah. that it has to do with the accessibility of it and and i really think that's great and you know a, a lot of a lot more fly fishermen are starting to come around to it um you know i, I uh i guided for trout in uh in colorado for 10 seasons uh what, I what part of colorado were you in uh in the in the vale area so fish like uh the Colorado River, the Roaring Fork, and the Eagle were the three main ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, a, a fish for trout here. We have a, we have a trout fishery, mostly a wintertime fishery uh, in Central Texas called the Guadalupe River. But uh, I've gone on a couple of trout trips, you know, with friends in the last few years. But I have not done a single day of trout guiding in a while. And uh, you know. I think that these other, you know, whether it's the saltwater, the redfish stuff, or the bass stuff, I think there's just uh, a lot of a lot of room to, uh, you know, grow in both of those areas. And I think, you know, just fly fishing specifically. I mean, you know, everybody else in the world knows about bass fishing. A lot of people that are in the saltwater fishing know about red fishing. But I think uh, both of those areas are still kind of growing in the world of fly fishing. I mean, saltwater fly fishing, inshore, redfish, bonefish, that kind of stuff is super popular, but still probably not as popular as trout fishing. And, and, and bass fishing is definitely not as popular as trout fishing, but I think it's got just as much or more potential just because of the access thing. There's a lot of bass water out there. On the other side of that, um, you know, it, it there is there is something beautiful about a once in a lifetime trip, and you recently got to go do that, right? You got to go to Cosmolito. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that was just pretty amazing. I mean that I remember um, Yeti did a video Cosmo, and that was the first time. Uh, you know, this that that whole operation was just getting started. 
And I remember this was when I was guiding up in Colorado. I was living with uh, with a couple of my good buddies, Dan Houck and Brody Henderson. And I come home, you know, after doing a, a half day trip one morning, and uh, Brody and Dan are like, "Dude, you got to check out this video." And we pull it up, and, and you know, we all three are just like, "Oh my god, that's just insane!" You know, and uh, I cannot believe that you know fast forward here i am in the seychelles first day on the water i'm actually fishing with alex the guy who was in the original cosmo video and uh yeah it was it was definitely you know once in a lifetime you know dream come true i mean whatever you want to call it it was definitely all of those things and uh just just feels so so lucky so fortunate to have been able to, to do that, you know? Um, yeah, it's just kind of indescribable. You and know? It, for people that don't know what that is, it's in the Indian ocean, right? It's this little, yep. it, it takes literally forever to get out there. Correct. Like take us through some yeah. of the, the travel and, and we'll, we'll vicariously listen through <laughs> you to, <laughs> to well, experience the, the, if, if there was any downside to that trip at all, it's getting there. Uh, from anywhere in the States, it's, it's just brutal. I mean, we left Austin, Texas, uh, like two, no, we left Austin around noon on a Monday morning. We flew to JFK, then we flew overnight from JFK to Abu Dhabi. We flew from Abu Dhabi to Mahe, which is the capital of the Seychelles, and then from Mahe, we had to take a small flight to Alphonse Island, then from Alphonse Island, we took another small plane to Astove Island, and then from Astove, we had to get on a boat, and then the boat was, uh, you know, the, the ride in the boat to get to Cosmolito to get to the atoll was anywhere from half hour, 45 minutes to two hours plus, just depending on the, the conditions of the sea. You leave uh, Alphonse, excuse me, you leave Astove, and basically you wade out and hop on the boat, and when the boat fires up, like five minutes later, you go from, you know, knee-deep water to 5,000-foot-deep water. <laughs> I mean, it's like Holy insane. Cow. You can see the cliff, cliff drop off. But anyway, we left Austin Monday. We were fishing in Cosmo Friday morning, so <laughs> it took a week. Oh yeah, my yeah, a, a work week. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. now here's my question: Who in the world went out there first and figured out, hey, they got these crazy GTs out there? We should bring people here. Like, I mean, uh, how'd you, how'd you even, how, who was even out there and found that? And then you know what? Let's go chase them with a fly. Like, what's going on here? There's a bunch of crazy South African guys. Uh, <laughs> see, from South Africa, it's only about five hours. So for them, <laughs> oh, you know, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. For them, it's like, you know, us going up to the Pacific Northwest or something. Uh, and uh, Keith Rose, the guys we fished with were uh, Alphonse Fishing Company. And those guys are pretty much the pioneers of, of that whole Seychelles fishing thing. I mean, basically, if you're going fishing in Seychelles, you're probably fishing with Alphonse Fishing Company. Um, Keith and Devin 
and the whole crew over there, they're just amazing guys. They've got so many amazing stories. I mean, Keith, um, Keith started his guiding career, you know, guiding in Russia. And so, that, you know, they fished all over the world. While we were there, they were showing us video of them fishing in Bhutan for a giant mashir. I mean, just like stuff that most people have never even heard of. So these guys are real pioneers in the whole world of sort of like, you know, extreme off-the-grid fly fishing. I mean, because the, the, the lodge at Cosmo is completely self-contained. Because, like, you know, there's, there's nothing there. I mean, they have to bring the food there, but everything is like, you know, is, is they're completely off-grid, and they're almost zero impact on the island. Like, they could pick up camp and be gone, and you would never know the camp was there. So it's, it's just a super, super awesome outfit. Um, you know, they're working on having their whole outfit in the Seychelles be just like completely carbon neutral, no, no impact on the environment over there. So, you know, number one, they're, they're really pioneers, um, of, you know, that's kind of extreme saltwater fly fishing sport, but also they're just really good people, you know? So if you ever, anybody's ever has even the smallest chance of going over there, I, I would definitely jump on it because it is. The whole thing is really, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience. And, you know, like I said, I, I would go back tomorrow <laughs> in spite of the brutal travel. But if I never go back the rest of my life, I, I'll never forget the trip. And the thing you're chasing, it's called a giant Trevally, correct? A giant Trevally or a GT or a Jeet. <laughs> Gotcha. So what it uh, if you could compare that, what is that like? What is to somebody that's has never seen one? What would you compare that to? Well, uh, it looks wise. Uh, you know, saltwater fishermen. A lot of people know what a jack looks like. So yeah. They look a lot like a jack. I'm, I'm assuming they're in the same family. Um, but uh, you know, jacks hardly ever move into shallow water and. Uh, these uh, these GTs, I mean, they they cruise the flats. I mean, they're out in the deep water and the blue water as well. But they come in. I mean, you know, I caught uh, one of my two biggest ones wade fishing in knee deep water, and we're talking like a sixty pound, just just brutal, brutal fish. I mean, just these things come in, and and there's nothing. If it's smaller than them, they will eat it. They will they will smash it, and and. I guess the most amazing thing is just the uh, the speed and just the total reckless abandon they have. I mean, once that fish sees your fly, if if it decides it's going to eat it, there's nothing you can do to stop it. I mean, you, you you land the fly like I would think. Like you know, most of the time, most most types of uh, sight casting, you got to get the fly in front of the fish at a certain angle, a certain distance or whatever. Basically, if you get the fly anywhere around a GT and start moving it, they sense that motion and it's just like a torpedo just explodes from where they're sitting until, boom, they got the fly, they're gone. You're trying not to break something. I mean, this is unbelievable. And as far as like extreme sports, I mean, that's about, about as extreme as it gets. Or a fish, and you know, we're talking. You know, we're in shallow water. We're waiting. You, you see the whole thing happen. Uh, it's, it's it's pretty pretty exciting. 
the yeah, I can't. The visual part of it would just be incredible to be able to see uh, um, all that taking um, place. Um, and I caught my two biggest ones on on poppers on top water. No way. Did you ever see yeah. the video of the guy that basically like cut up a flip flop and was dragging it across? Yep. That's re- that's, yep. that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but I hundred percent. Uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, all right. So not let's, not, go ahead. Sorry, I mean. Oh, I said not after catching them. It doesn't. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Uh, bringing it back to the the real world for the rest of us. So. <laughs> for me too. Yeah. For me too, man. Yeah. How? Uh, so how does how does your you know. Your average Joe, how does he go and get started doing this? Well, um, the internet, man, is a great resource. Everything you need to know about fly fishing and just about anything else is on the internet. Um, But I would say if you have, if you're in an area that has a fly shop, you're in. Just go to the fly shop. Start talking to those guys. Most fly shops are going to have some kind of classes, you know, something something for free, some kind of intro. I mean, I know all the Orvis shops all over the nation, they have what they call their Fly Fishing 101. They're just a class. You come in there, you sit down, doesn't cost anything, and they just kind of lay out the basics for you. And then, uh, you know, from there, you know, most fly shops will have, you know, like, you know, private casting lessons, you know, and, you know, kind of walk you through it. The, the equipment, um just about any price point nowadays you can get good gear, which is something that's, that's really changed. I mean, you know, back when I spent 150 bucks for a fly rod, that was not the most expensive. I mean, that was definitely not an expensive fly rod even back then. But if you spend 150 bucks now, what you get is so much better than that $150 rod I bought 20 years ago. So, um, you know, equipment is really advanced, and, and I think the prices have come down. Just about everybody's got, you know, some budget price gear that, that's actually really good. Um, you know, you just kind of work your way up, baby steps. If You know, if, if you got the money to hire a guide, that's a re- really quick way to kind of step your game up and learn some more. But, but if you don't have money to hire a guide, if you got time to go fish, I mean, you just get on the water. You know, whatever water you got, even if, even if the water – you know it doesn't have any fish. You can go out there and practice your casting. <laughs> you might surprise yourself and catch a fish. Um, <laughs> That's what happens to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's it's. I think the the uh, you know kind of the the entry is a lot easier now. I mean, you know, especially like you said, it, it, the sport has become more popular. Another thing too um, is fly fishing clubs. You know, almost all the major cities, uh, even ones that are not anywhere near any fishing uh will have a fly fishing club and those are also great resources for learning and kind of getting into the sport most of the fly fishing clubs will have you know monthly speakers monthly outings and and you know you know they're really uh at least most of the ones that i've been involved with are still kind of more like the old guys are in the fly fishing clubs but they really welcome young folks women kids and uh if you can find a fly fishing club uh and you're not an old guy you should definitely join up because i think that uh that just kind of helps keep the sport rolling and that the whole club thing is kind of an old thing but i think it's a it's a, it's a good resource for a lot of people 
All right, let me ask you this. Why? Why? Why fly fishing? You know, why not just get a get a bait caster and just do the normal thing? Like what what is the why do we need to put ourselves into this pursuit? Why do you think it's important? Uh, it's fun. <laughs> that's that's the number one reason. Yeah. But but you know, like it's just to like break it down a little more. Why? Um, so if you're a hunter, and and I've I've heard this comparison, and I'm a I'm a pretty poor hunter. You know, shot rabbits and squirrels and stuff when I was a kid, trying to figure out the whole big game hunting thing. But um, people who are avid hunters. Uh, and JT would probably agree with this one. You know, once you kind of get to where you master your sport, you know, you can you can hit an animal with a rifle or hit a bird with a shotgun. Uh, a lot of people turn to archery, and a lot of people compare archery and fly fishing. It's, uh, yeah. you know, you're, do, you're doing the same thing, but it requires a little bit more of a skill level, more practice, maybe not more practice than being a really good shot, but... If you're a really good shot, you know you know you're gonna gonna be able to kill a deer at a really long distance. But if you're trying to shoot a deer with a bow, not only do you have to be proficient with the shot, but you also have to figure out how to hunt. You got to get a lot closer with the bow. Um, so in a lot of ways, fly fishing is kind of like that. You know, you're you're just making a little bit harder on yourself. You're just making a little bit more of a challenge um, most of the time. Now, there's certain circumstances where if you want to be successful, a fly rod is the preferred method. And why like is that? Trout, like trout fishing in a mountain stream, you know, where the fish are eating bugs. It's a lot better. It's a lot easier to catch them, you know, on the, the right size, shape, and color dry fly than it is to catch them on a meth spinner. I mean, there's days where guys with the fly rod just rake them in and you couldn't buy one with a spinning rod. Uh, another on the opposite end of the fly fishing spectrum, um, sight casting for saltwater fish in shallow water um, with a fly rod, like throwing at redfish or bonefish. I feel like they're much more effective than throwing conventional tackle, you know, in shallow water, um, deep water, you know, where you're having to cover water, where you're having to get down really deep, that's a whole different game. But, you know, I would take uh, a really good fly fisherman and a, and a, and a good spin fisherman in, uh, you know, six to 18 inches of water uh, for redfish, and that guy with that flower rod is going to smoke the dude with the spinning rod. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you think the significance is as to putting yourself on a regular basis, or at least when you can, um, just outside doing stuff in the water, in the woods. Why, why, you know, there's something missing in our, uh, modern human experience, if you will, that we're, we're so plugged in or we're so whatever that we can't kind of ever step back and just, you know, enjoy something. And I'm not trying to be just, you know, whatever over, uh, sensational about things, but there, there is something about just being outside that if you're not doing it on a red, like I can tell a difference. I'm just, I'm irritable. Uh, you know, I'm yelling at my kids for no reason. And then if I can start, <laughs> start my day and I'm outside or I, I you know, I, I see the sun come up or whatever. It's just like a whole 
deal where it just it just kind of calms you down. I don't know what it is. Do you, do you agree with that, or you're like, no, everybody's just being weird about that? <laughs> no, man, I agree with you 100%. You know, uh, for me, I'm really, really lucky. And, you know, of course, lately, like everybody else, I've been spending a lot of time indoors, and uh, I can definitely tell that I'm a different person without that, you know, time in nature, you know, outside, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I see it in uh, in my clients on the boat, you know, people just kind of get into that zone where all the rest of the world just kind of melts away. And, you know, you got one thing you're focused on, you know, but then there's all these other things that kind of, you, you think you're just focused on catching that fish or, you know, you, you think you're just focused on finding that redfish on the flat, but, there's all kinds of other stuff I feel like that's soaking in at the same time unconsciously. And I think that's the stuff that makes that, that, you know, kind of recharges the battery for me. You know, I mean, I, I get out there and some days when I'm guiding, you know, especially if it's a tough day, I mean, I am just as focused and, and dialed in as anybody you know, crunching numbers on a spreadsheet or writing code, you know, it, it can get super intense. But just because of where I'm at when I'm doing that, there's all this other stuff. I mean, just stuff as simple as what the sunlight and the vitamin D does for your body. Just something that simple to, you know, you can get all spiritual and flowery about it and how it, it just cleanses your soul or whatever. It's all true. And I think that's something that, um, I'm super, super lucky to be able to do that and to be able to have that and be able to feel that on a regular basis. But I think even if it's only for a couple of hours here and there, I think anybody can benefit from that. So, yeah, you, you got to get out there, you know. Yeah, and you, you, you are in that you're you're very very rich in that way to get to do that and and experience that whenever we're all allowed to get back and doing that a specific you know without uh no holds bars and needing to socially distance and all of those things your 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 wife's she's a fisher woman as well yeah yeah she's she's actually a guy <laughs> she's actually the one that runs the guy's business I, uh, I'm just a dude that works there now, which, which is actually awesome. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I guess I'm a, I'm a businessman. I guess I'm more of an entrepreneur ideas man and, and not so great of a behind the scenes operations guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, but she's really good at that. So, uh, yeah, you know, for her, it's like she runs the business. She does all that stuff, books, trips, emails. And uh, her reward for that is being able to guide. <laughs> so, yeah. She loves it. Too. She, she's, I mean, she's been fishing, you know, since she was a little girl. And, uh, uh, yeah, she, she, she just loves it. I mean, she does all the other stuff because she's really good at it. But I think her favorite place to be is out on the water as well. Is, great. is the is the whole outfit your your deal you you're running the whole thing right all, all water guides yeah all water guides yeah it was uh kind of grown out of frustration back in uh 2011 uh most of the guys let all the guys in central texas are just you know independent guides we've, we've got a few guys now who 
who just work for us, but most everybody has their own guide business as well. And um, back when, uh, back before we had the all water guides thing, uh, you know, I got pretty good at the marketing and all that stuff, social media, <laughs> that whole world mm-hmm. um, before there was such a thing, and uh, kind of got maxed out on how much guiding I could do. So I started sending trips, referring trips to some of my buddies, you know, also really good guides who maybe weren't as good on the uh, marketing promotion end of the thing and um, got to where, you know, I was I was sending out quite a bit of business. And the thing that kind of got me was when I would have somebody call or email to book a trip and they'd say, okay, I want five guides, six guides. And uh, I'd be like, yeah, I can do that. You know, the next question was like, hey, well, if I'm booking so many trips, you think I could get some kind of discount? And I was like, you know, actually, I want to charge you more because I was the guy doing all that legwork, calling everybody up and trying to tie it all together. <laughs> and so I decided, well, I'll just start this guide service and I'll charge the guys a commission for doing all the legwork. And then, uh, yeah, it, it, it's worked out. And now I don't have to do all the legwork. I just go fishing and take pictures and make videos. And my wonderful wife takes care of all the stuff that I was never that great at anyway. Wow, that's really cool. And and speaking of, I mean, all waters, you're you're doing river trips. You're doing stuff out on the coast. And and I have this, uh, and 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 I've run into a roadblock here. But one of my my personal projects here because is in a in a point of contention that when I when things are going too good with my wife I just bring this up so that we can fight and uh what it's it's she wants a floating living room for a boat right she wants a pontoon right that's her right that's her idea is let's just go float around and you know eat, uh-huh. eat snacks and I want to fish right is there uh-huh. I'm trying to to create this 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 boat that doesn't exist basically to where you could and it's gonna and I don't care it's got to be it can be a John boat uh, uh, an old you know, whatever it can be a Carolina skiff or if I was trying to get started and I think this is gonna be one of our man child struggle well projects that we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna document it but if I something that I could take to the salt. I could take it on a vacation down to the Carolinas or down to Florida or down to Texas, or and then I could also be on the lakes around here in West Virginia. I could even maybe get away with and not knocking the prop off on a rock in the New River over here in the mountains. What, what, where would I start? What would you say if there was one? I understand no boat can do it all, but if you had to, right? And yeah. Don't, don't tell me you can't because I watched Das Boat and you guys took a. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, I guess, I guess, I guess, I was uh, the uh, when when you were telling me that, I was also envisioning the boat being that floating living room for your wife to hang out on. So that 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 may be the hardest requirement, right? Well, uh, see, see what that? Yeah, that's that's the one. That's I'm sorry, it's not going to happen for you there, babe. But uh, it's uh, <laughs> well, they do make. Have you ever heard of the the paddleboard company Boat? B O T E. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they got like an inflatable like a chair. So my idea was basically pumping up these two recliners and throwing those in front of the console, and then boom, it's a family boat. There you go. How about that? 
Yeah, and yeah. Oh, you know what? Uh, you know what a lot of guys do? Put a beanbag chair up there. I heard that, too. I heard that, too. And I, yep. I tried to float that balloon, and I said beanbags, and she looked at me. So I'm like, beanbags? Are you serious? So like, <laughs> I, <laughs> so I feel like there's a little bit of, you know, like I, I just feel like I'm, I'm basically on a crash course to build a boat that's going to give me a dirty look wherever I go. I'm either going to have – yeah. A, with a polling platform on the back and people up here are going to be like, what's wrong with you? And then while we're in the boat, my wife's going to look at me and she's going to say, what's wrong with you? And then when I get to the coast, they're going to be like, what's wrong with you? So I I, I think that's what I'm going to call the boat is what's wrong with you. So what's wrong with you? Yeah. So, Man, I, I think, I think a, 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 you know, like an aluminum boat, that's going to be the most durable thing, least maintenance, uh, you know I, that I, I actually enjoyed that DOS boat. I was I was impressed with that thing because uh, you know I was expecting it to be a piece of junk, and, and it wasn't far off. I mean, the the new engine was nice for us. The the jet drive would have been a little bit nicer just for running the river. Um, but yeah, you know, just a, a, an aluminum John boat. Throw that polling platform on there. Uh, make you a big old front deck, you know, because. Uh, you can uh, you can put a trolling motor on that thing and, and take it out. You can push the lakes. You can, you know a lot of, a lot of places the trolling motor will work well in the salt. Um, you know especially if you want to fish by yourself or you want to fish and you know your wife hangs out on the big front deck that you just put on. Right. Um, see. You know. she, she's got to see it. She's just got to see it. <laughs> Uh, the, and the other thing I've, I've always wondered this, and now this is all just like, I'm, I feel like I'm just being selfish with these questions, but uh, <laughs> the other, the, the idea that you can't take an aluminum boat in out somewhere where you need to be. And I get it hull slap and all of that. But I mean, seriously, is it that big of a deal? Like, do you have to have, why does a flats boat one? This is not a knock on the, on the boating industry. I'm not trying to make somebody upset here. If you, if you, if you sell, <laughs> sell boats for a living and you, whatever, but I mean, $75,000 for a 16 foot boat, what are we doing? What's happening right now? I don't get it. Uh, can't we just go out there and, and yeah, maybe I'll spook one here and there, but I've also you know, not spend 75 grand. I you got You can't tell me that I can't go out there at all with an aluminum. Boat. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now that that's crazy. Well, so going back to the, to the beginnings of the whole thing, like the, you know, the, the, the whole, uh, Cosmo video, JT, Dave Mangum and I all met, uh, at the Austin angler and we all started fishing the salt, um, Texas coast. And the boat that we used was the Austin Angler Skiff that since I was the manager, I had it parked at my house. And it was an aluminum John boat with a plywood front deck covered in carpet, polling platform, and like a, I think it was like a 40-horse Suzuki tiller drive motor. And we caught so many fish out of that boat. That's awesome. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that was that was where we started, you know. So yeah, yeah you can still do it. I mean, I see, I see people uh, now down at the coast fishing out of similar rigs, and you know, it's got its limitations, but it's not, you know, it's it's not like it's never going to work, you know. Exactly, and it's it's always like it. Obviously, it's better to have way better equipment. It's better to have, 
you know, a sage rod and a Nautilus reel, but if all you can afford is the Bass Pro Special that's going to keep you from going out there, then get that one and go out there. That was always my idea. It's better to be fishing than not be fishing. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, where can people find you uh, on Instagram, uh, find your guide business, all of that? Oh, man, you know, like I said, I'm all over that social media. Um, you can you can look me up, Alvin Dito, Alvin Dito Fly Fishing uh, on Instagram, on YouTube, alvindito.com is my website. Also, allwaterguides, allwaterguides.com, allwaterguides on Instagram, allwaterguides on YouTube, Twitter. I mean, I think if you... Uh, if you type uh, Alvin and fishing <laughs> in the Google search, I'll pop up. <laughs> Perfect. And you got some really cool, uh, your YouTube series that you're, you're adding to a lot nowadays with the current state of things, but you, there's some really good information there and it's fun to watch too. So. Uh, thanks for watching. <laughs> of course, man. Uh, you know, any, anything else am I missing here? No, not really, man. I mean, just, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, like I said, I'm stuck in the same boat with everybody else right now, pardon the pun. And, uh, I just hope everybody out there is, uh, keeping themselves busy and, and keeping themselves sane. And, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, we'll all be getting back out there on the water. Yeah, man. I, uh, you know, listen, I, I had a, I was hoping, you never know. I always, they always say, don't meet your heroes type deal because you'll be disappointed. I was hoping you'd be a, a, a genuine down to earth guy. And I, and I did not go away disappointed. And I really appreciate your time and your, and your insight and uh, your, your stories and, and your memories that you shared with us, man. Oh, thanks. You're making me blush. You <laughs> 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 take this to the radio, not TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a, it was a great time. I really appreciate you having you on. Cool. Well, uh, definitely uh, send me a link um, when the podcast go li- goes live, and uh, I'll share it out there. Absolutely, man. There you have it. Gosh, Alvin Dado is just cooler than you and me smooth operator all right guys i hope you enjoyed uh that conversation if you are digging what we're doing then give us a good five star rating on apple itunes podcasts share it with some friends let them know what's going on that's how we're going to grow this thing and we want to do it we're doing this because we want to help people be encouraged enough to go out and chase down uh, what they dream about when they're doing stuff they wish they wouldn't have to do, right? It's, it's you know, I, I'm nauseated by the whole branding thing and you got to do certain things you have to do to make things grow. But, you know, let's just be as authentic and as real with each other as we possibly can. And that's all. I'm just keeping it real with you right now. That's how it's going to grow. If you share this thing, if you rate it, and all that sort of stuff. We're, we're, you know, we appreciate you being patient with us. We're growing. We're trying. We're doing our best. I know you are, too. We're all in this thing together, man. All right? Thank you, as always, to David Lessing. Got a text message. Uh, always to David Lessing, our writer, our performer of the Man Child Jingle. Thank you to Patrick Davis, our sound engineer, our website developer and designer. 
And uh, all you guys out there, all right? Take care of each other. Work really, really hard. Play really, really hard. Have fun. Don't take yourself too serious. And don't take anybody else too serious either, all right? Make it a great one. We'll see you. Bye. Many, many people.